content warning for the episode ahead. Uh, we will be discussing things such as uh, depression, trauma, grief, homophobia, as well as transphobia, um, and a very brief mention of anti-Semitism. Hey y'all, and welcome back to Queerly, a podcast where we discuss LGBTQ plus related media and general topics such as mental health and any interesting or hot topic uh, media related uh, topics. So Liz, still out of the country, as said in the, the previous episode I uh, posted today. So this one is just going to be a continuation of the discussion I started in the last one. Um, so major spoiler warnings for The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2. If you haven't played the first game, it's been almost a decade now that it's been out. So please go play that. It's really good. I think that general uh, consensus is it's one of the best games of all time, especially narrative-wise. Part 2, I'm personally a fan of. I really, really enjoy it. But I know that it's a con- controversial uh, game, so that's more of to each, to each their own. So, I mean, I encourage going and trying it at the very least. Um, and so let's dive, uh, let's dive right back into it then. Um, if you have any issues with any of the content warnings I gave at the beginning, please tune off. Um, we're going to kind of get deep into it. Uh, so where to begin? I guess we'll start with the first game as well as its DLC, Left Behind, since that's kind of where we actually got the confirmation that Ellie was lesbian. Um, so first game itself, uh, it was really well received, and thing with games like that, there within that actual game, there's nothing that would be of actual direct offense when it comes to people who are homophobic. Um, Ellie, yeah, she's a scrappy young teen, um, but she doesn't, there's no specific uh, dialogue or things um, linked to any queer behavior or beliefs um, when it comes to her. And then there's no real like discussion of it within the game. Um, and it being an, a third-person shooter definitely uh, leads to a certain crowd. And I'm not, I don't mean to generalize, um, I really enjoy third-person shooters and FPSs. But there is a certain crowd that it draws um, who typically are more, um, more, well, first of all, male gaze-centric when it comes to female characters as well as more on the socially conservative side. Um, and not again, not saying all socially conservative people are homophobic. That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. There is just, it tends to bring in a certain type of crowd that usually homophobic people fall under. That's all I'm saying. Um, and so once Left Behind came out, so for those who haven't played that or played the first, so um, the first game is essentially a uh, post-apocalypse. There's been the um, Cordyceps virus, which is an actual virus that can affect ants. Um, look it up, it's actually kind of horrifying, but 
um, and it's spread to humans in this world. And so this character, Joel, who you play as, um, there's a lot of stuff. I don't want to fully, just in case people want to listen, thinking they won't play it, um, I don't want to spoil everything, so I'm just going to do the general points I need to. Um, so Joel, he needs to travel across the country with this girl, Ellie, who it turns out is immune to being bitten. So bitten, being bitten is how the virus spreads. Um, it also can spread through breathing. Well, no, it doesn't get spread through that. You just die from that. Never mind. Ignore me. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, they travel across the country. Uh, they start in Boston and they end up in, I believe it is... Washington? No, not Washington. They end up in Montana. That's where they end up. Um, and so, throughout this journey, obviously, they start bonding. Now, Joel, um, Joel, he, this is, this spoiler, I feel like, kind of has to happen anyway. Um, his daughter, Sarah, you see, die in the very beginning of the game, um, right when the, uh, apocalypse itself is beginning. Um, and so he is very hesitant to, um, get attached to Ellie, because they're both the same age, essentially. Um, one is about 13, 14, the other is 14. Um, and so over the course of the story, the player and the character of Joel both become very attached to Ellie. Um, and so the way that they wrote Ellie, I, so at the time, I was actually... Ellie's age. I mean, with both games, I guess. I'm, I've been Ellie's age when they came out, because um, that's how time works. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I already um, got very attached to her as a character. Obviously, I also got attached to Joel and all the others. Um, but she didn't, there was no, like, specific stuff pointing to her being gay um, she was kind of scrappy, tomboyish kid, but a lot of people don't fully get that being a tomboy doesn't mean you're gay. Like, it's, people don't always understand that coding doesn't, like, like, things that you usually see with, like, gay coding, if someone actually practices that behavior in real life, that doesn't mean that they are gay, or queer, or trans, or anything. Um, so... I mean, she was just kind of more of a, a typical, like, 14-year-old, really. Um, I know some people had had some speculation at the time, but it wasn't really something that was discussed. Um, and then, I believe it was the following year that the DLC came out, um, so Left Behind. And so, uh, in that one... We meet uh, a character named Riley, who she was uh, Ellie's friend before they left Boston, so before meeting Joel and everything, before getting bitten as well. Um, and it shows the events leading up to when she is bitten, um, as well as some events that happened in the first game, side by side, just for um, story parallels and everything. And so you see... Um, You've, and you've heard mention of Riley in the in the base game, but it was just in reference to being bitten. Um, and so in this DLC, you see them trying to reconnect um, because Riley had run off with a um, 
what I mean it's it's technically a terrorist group it's it's basically a group trying to still uh, search for a cure to the virus um, and that's they come at odds with the military that is generally running all these quarantine zones where most people live at this point um, and so they are I mean, they're, they're two 14-year-old girls having fun running around a mall that they managed to power back up. Um, and it's very sweet. It's very, like, it's, I mean, it's really heartwarming. It's fun. And, like, after becoming attached to Ellie in the game, um, just seeing her having fun and being happy and, like, a kid is great. It really is. Um, and so you, I mean, the vibe that they have between the two is... Very much, it is, like, kind of super close friend as a kid, but also a, the, always that inkling of something underneath, you know? And so, it doesn't come as a surprise, exactly, but it is, um, it is very, not sudden, but, um, it's very explicit and unapologetic when it comes to um the showing that uh, confirming that both of them are gay so um they at one point are dancing around they found um a a stereo that was working and uh during this it's very awkward it's very awkward dancing which is really funny and very accurate to when you're in your tween years and you're at like your middle school dance and your arms are kind of too long proportionally at that, and you don't know what to do with them, um, so that's always fun. But um, they have some moments of just looking at each other, saying uh, that, because Riley was supposed to leave the next day, essentially, to go to the um, the group she's with's headquarters, and those are all the way out in uh, Wyoming. Either... Either Wyoming or Montana. I'm kind of blanking right now. I believe it's Wyoming. Um, but, uh, so, she, so, Ellie basically tells, um, tells Riley that she doesn't want her to go, and Riley, uh, then, uh, takes off her dog tags and declares that she's not gonna, she's not gonna leave. Um, and in that moment, they kind of, like, have a beat where they just stare at each other, and then... Uh, Ellie goes in and kisses her, and it's very, it's very, very, uh, cute, and I, I, it makes me smile anytime I see it, um, and so, thing is, um, you know, that audience that I'd previously mentioned, um, unfortunately, uh, did not take it as well as I did, or many other people did, um, I think that with games like this, so, Usually you don't see quite this level of backlash um, with games when they depict characters like this. I think that the nature of the base game, it being A, a shooter, B, kind of a tip, like a, like a general uh, post-apocalyptic zombie, gotta travel to a destination type thing. It's, I mean, it's like Walking Dead. It, it reaches very wide audiences and then I think just the quality of the storytelling in the first one also it it captured a lot of people's interest and so with this DLC you started seeing a lot 
of um, homophobic statements about it. Um, people either, I remember um, at the time seeing things like either people denying, kind of <laughs> people in denial that like Ellie was gay, which was kind of weird. Because, um, you know, it's in the DLC of the game. Um, but, uh, and then you saw people, of course, going on about, like, oh, it's SJW, um, left, like, gay agenda, the liberals, all that kind of stuff. And, like, even, even if you are one of those people who finds it, um, who finds that, or believes that, um, liberal, um, liberal, I guess, quote-unquote, agenda, um, politically is, isn't to your taste, um, I have to, I have to hope that when it comes to just being able to even show somebody, um, who is different from you, uh, living their life as a normal person isn't, is something that you can respect enough to not not basically say you are poisoning the minds of our children and you should not do this it should not exist because people don't understand how powerful um representation really is i mean of course today uh corporations use it way too much for their like for basically uh performative um performative progressiveness um, so all of those Disney's first gay blank, um, where it's, you know, background character, one sh half a second shot, that kind of stuff, um, and they say it like ten times, it's their first one, um, <laughs> but, and you see it with, I mean, it's, it's Pride Month, so you see it with all of these companies selling Pride merch, even though, you know, they, they fund all of these, or give money donations to, all of these groups or politicians who don't support um, queer-friendly legislature. Um, and so, at least when it comes to the non-corporate side of things, um, you mostly see uh, people arguing that it is teaching young children about sex and shoving sex in their face. Now, that's that is an argument that's existed for a very long time. It's an argument that you see a lot of people uh, who who very much support the "Don't Say Gay" bill say. Um, and I mean, in that, in, like, just if just think about that for a second. Like, it's like saying teaching kids or sh even just showing kids a picture of a a woman and a man who are together, like, even just sitting down on a bench together is basically telling, like, forcing, like, hardcore porn in their face. Like, seriously. Are you kidding me? Like, we exist outside of sex, too. We are not... <laughs> even other animals exist outside of sex itself, too, you know? I mean... What... How wouldn't like we wouldn't have money to to even have jobs if we just focused on sex all the time? 
um, it's just, it's just such a, it's one of those arguments where it's, it's, you know, it's purely from upbringing and either cultural, religious, or social, um, uh, stereotypes. Um, and so that, when it comes to, especially when it comes to portraying youth with, um, who are queer, that argument comes flying in full force. So you saw that a lot with, um, with Ellie and Riley, uh, saying that they're sexualizing young children and teens, um, which, once again, no. You can show a boy and a girl who are like, I don't know, eight? Kissing? And everyone just thinks it's cute. But, you know, boy and boy who are eight, not so much, apparently. Um... Or, you know, a trans boy. Like, not so much. <laughs> or a trans girl. Um, and so, that that was a huge factor in the backlash of the DLC. Um, and so, it's something that... It quelled down pretty quickly, just because it was a DLC. It was only a few hours of gameplay. Um, and it was... It wasn't... Uh, I guess it just wasn't, it, I mean, it really wasn't the same scale as the original game, and people, when it comes to things like DLC, a lot of time people can hand wave off the content in it. I mean, I know I've done that for certain games where, like, it just, the, the content just isn't good writing quality, um, but with the second game, and especially when it started leaking, um, that was a major, major, uh, issue that was reported everywhere. Um, and I do want to mention the, the, um, anti-Semitism real quick that, uh, the game's director, uh, one of them, um, the previous one had him and I believe it is, oh, I'm forgetting his name, but it had him co-directing with another person for the second game. He was the, uh, main director and then Haley Gross, I believe, was helping. Um, but when Neil Druckmann, who is uh, Israeli or of dis Israeli descent, um, there was a lot of anti-Semitism thrown his way um, with these leaks. So I just wanted to mention that as well. But um, with the leaks, so what leaked was first, um, I'm not sure, actually, I'm not sure if it was leaked or if it was just art that was shown at a presentation or something. But the first thing was of um, the character Abby in part two. And so Abby, as discussed before, she is built like an ox. <laughs> um, she is, uh, very, not unfeminine, but very, um, non, non, um, conventionally attractive in I guess, I mean, it's, like, specifically, like, her torso area. Her, because of her working out a shit ton, essentially, she doesn't have, she has, a, like, relatively flat chest, which, you know, if you build up your pec muscles like that, that happens. That's just how life works. Um, and she is, she's a sturdy person. It's not like she has uh, a waist that curves in or anything like that. Um, and so there were all these comments, like, I, I, discussed previously about oh why did they put a, a woman's face on a man's body oh this and uh, there there was transphobia of people and 
if you if you um, uh, if you for a trigger warning if you uh, need it when it comes to transphobia just skip ahead about uh, 40 seconds people saying oh why is there a tranny in this game which uh, knowing about Lev who's later in the game um, they <laughs> they uh, definitely got a shock to their system um, but just even that assumption that uh, she was trans which in the game she's not um, and it wouldn't have been wrong if she was, but just the assumption because of a body type that was not, uh, considered conventionally attractive within the typical male gaze, um, is definitely, while it is somewhat, um, tied to homophobia in a way, I'd say it's also tied to just general, uh, uh, feminist issues and issues with, um, with, uh, men's, uh, views on women. Um, and of course, like, by men, you, you know what I mean when I say men. I mean those specific ones holding those beliefs. Like, don't worry, y'all, I'm sure, if you're listening to this, you're probably on the same page, and if you're not, hopefully I'm able to at least get you thinking about the other side's arguments. Um, but, yeah, so that's with Abby, and then with, when the full game came, or no, the trailer, when the trailer came out for the game, so, um, this is, again, going into spoilers for part two, um, there was a trailer showing a scene in a barn at kind of like a, a winter dance, or like small party, um, and so it goes through the whole scene, and it ends up with Dina and Ellie, um, Ellie is now about 20 years old, um, rather than 14, um, and it shows them kissing, and, well, it's first they're dancing together, and then they end up kissing, um, and so it, so that, um, there's gameplay afterwards, but that was definitely a big talking point. Now, of course, there were plenty of people who were very, like, happy for Ellie, were, like, very excited that this was happening, um, but there were also those same people who, um, who were, uh, spouting homophobic language and slurs and things like that. Um, and it, I, I'm, I'm conflicted on how I feel about the whole situation because on one hand, I am happy that the difference in terms of the amount of, um, negative, uh, negative comments or negative views on homophobic or home, not homophobic, sorry, on queer characters and queer interactions, I guess I could say, um, in that DLC versus in this game, which mind you, is about six or seven years after the that was released, or closer to six, um, that there, the ratio, there's less, there are fewer, um, of those homophobic comments, um, but, so that's kind of reassuring that progress is occurring, but it's also a little disheartening to see there's still such a volume of them. While the ratio might be better, the volume of it is still, is still, um, it, it can be horrible and down, makes you feel downtrodden, you know? Um, and so I think it's really important to discuss, uh, 
media like this where it provokes such a reaction because often it means that it is really, <laughs> at least in this case, it is pretty well done because this kind of media, the if, if the surrounding parts of it are really good, it can still draw in people who may not hold the same opinions on queer people, but they will still experience the game and experience that viewpoint through playing as Ellie. And I think games are one of the most important ways to be able to put yourself in another's shoes. Now, of course, like, that's the same. That same can be said for any type of media. That's really what it is. But with games, you are literally thrust into the character that you're playing. You are controlling them. Typically, either you are embodying them yourself, um, or they, I guess, embody you. Um, or you essentially take on the uh, almost protective role of controlling the character, trying to get them to where they need to go, making sure they're safe, making sure that everything's happening um, in a way that's beneficial to them, things like that. You're experiencing it as them with them. Um, and so I think that's such a powerful tool for for um, kind of changing people's minds and hearts. And so I, I wanted to commend um, I wanted to commend uh, both part one and part two of The Last of Us for that. Um, and I think that's essentially what they tried to do with the second half of part two. So uh, another spoiler for Last of Us part two, the first half you play as Ellie, um, and then the second half you play as Abby. So Abby is the one who had killed Joel. And I know, again, this is a polarizing opinion. Um, a lot of people don't like Abby and don't think that that part of the game is well done. There are plenty of people who didn't finish the game. They just stopped playing as soon as it switched to her. Um, and I know that for a while I had kind of a similar thing where I would replay the first half of the game and then just stop once it, once it switched over to Abby's side of the story. But I... After, especially after playing in grounded mode, where I spent a lot of time as both characters, as well as um, kind of the feeling of self-preservation mixed with being this character and having to apply that preservation to them, um, I think definitely helped me to relate more and be more open to hearing out her side of the story. Because once, once I did, I kind of saw... Well, I mean, obviously they wrote it as kind of paralleling um, Ellie's story. Um, but also I saw the the way that Abby was written. And honestly, I think she's a really good character. Um, I think her journey is really well done. And I think the ultimate ending, where I know a lot of people were dissatisfied, I think is really just powerful. Um, and so purely by purely by the game's own means um, was it able to kind of sway me. It wasn't from some outside person's opinion. And so I hope that I hope that that can occur with other people when it comes to things like more more social issues like like um, like queer issues or even um, race issues or, or mental health issues. I know that um, 
I had played uh, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, um, which this isn't a spoiler because it's it, the whole game is centered around it, and it's the whole point of the game. Um, is that the character is going through essentially a mental break and has schizophrenia, um, or some uh, closely related um, version of it um, that could just be, uh, uh, oh shit, what's the word? Um, not paranoia, but, um, uh, Uh, hold on. It's not just schizophrenia. There's another name for it that I just can't remember right now. Um, but, uh, it's gonna bug me now. But basically, it, what it does is with the audio, between the audio and the visuals, it tricks your brain the same way that having something like schizophrenia would trick your brain. Um, you hear things that in the world of the game you wouldn't actually be hearing. You see things in the game that wouldn't actually be, you wouldn't actually be seeing. Um, and you, the way that information is laid out is very much in line with how um, things can become almost garbled when you experience things like trauma. Um, and so I think that we are getting to a point where where games are becoming more aware of their power when it comes to um, when it comes to allowing people to open themselves up to others. Um, and so, yeah, so games like this, I think, are extremely significant and shouldn't be um, should be taken with with uh, that in mind. Um, and then I was gonna talk about something else. Um, oh, I, I did, so, with Lev in, in Last of Us Part Two, I didn't really, I don't feel like I am, um, I am qualified to give a, a, an, an opinion. I'm not, I am not trans, um, I have, I've known some trans people. But I don't, I can't speak for them. And obviously everyone has a different experience as well. So um, I know there are some things about people being unhappy that um, Lev's whole backstory was essentially explained by uh, his sister rather than him. And the use of uh, his dead name by the some of the enemies in the game. The, the, the I mean, the dead name, I'm... I, as somebody who, who only knows, like, from an outside perspective, um, the fact that it's used by enemies in the game who are meant to, they, they basically serve a role as, among other things, a religious cult with, um, with, uh, anti, anti-LGBTQ plus, um, beliefs. And so I think that it makes sense for them to use it. I personally can't say whether or not it was right of them to use it, though. So um, just wanted to address that as well as um, why I didn't want to um, discuss that at, in as much length as the other stuff I've been talking about. 
Um, but, yeah. And I guess, oh, I guess something I should talk about is the barn scene again. So in the actual game, um, again, spoilers, we see uh, that after the kiss, a man named Sean, who lives in the town where um, Ellie and Dina are, basically uh, set... I think the lines... Oh god, I feel weird, the ability to quote this stuff. Um, the, the lines are essentially like, uh, this is a, this is like a family event, there are children here, so, again, doing the whole implying that any, um, any act that, that shows any level of, um, queer affection, I guess, I suppose, uh, is inappropriate, inherently sexual, and uh, something that should be hidden. So, kind of, I, I wonder, I do wonder if that's a, um, on part of the writers slash developers, um, to, to almost echo what was said about the DLC initially. Um, but, so he says that, uh, Dina and Ellie pay him no mind, they start walking away, and then he says, um, I believe these are the exact words, he says, uh, just what this town needs, another loudmouth dyke. And so that leads to a whole confrontation, Joel coming in, all of that. Um, and so I think that, I think that the fact that is, that the, the, um, the existence of homophobia still exists is a good one. Like, because the game itself is supposed to take place only, I think... The second game's only maybe 30 years uh, since the... Like, at max, max, 30 years. I think it's closer to, like, 25 years after the apocalypse began. Of course, there's going to be more pressing matters. But then again, like today, when there are still more pressing matters, you still have people um, who focus on these issues. Um, and so, I mean... Of course, and, like, I, I get into conversations with people who are more um, either right-leaning or kind of fence-sitting um, about this, where they'd argue that, oh, um, like, people in the queer community, they're trivializing um, people, issues, or they're making bigger issues out of things like uh, pronouns when it doesn't matter that much. We have all these other issues going on. Um, and so to that I say it's... The thing is, yeah, there are other things going on, but in this case, most people who who are not respecting this stuff, I'd say majority of them, now of course there are always exceptions, but majority of them, what's going, what their actual like concerns are, aren't about even the those bigger things that we have to worry about. It's more of their their whole focus. Their whole focus is on the f fear and or hatred toward people within the queer community. So their their own rhetoric, they're not following, essentially. Um, so it it's, as always, everything's complicated. But it is, it is interesting being able to experience these things both as a 
an outsider in terms of um, when you play a video game. You you yourself are an outsider. You are not... I mean, VR changes things, but there hasn't yet been a VR game that really, really hits that, that boundary and the nail on the head. But um, you are both an outsider, but you are also experiencing with the character what they're going through. And so, again, it's, it's important. That would... I would hope that even just thinking about that would open up some some people's eyes, minds, ears. I mean, it's... Because, I mean, people don't understand what someone is going through, someone what someone deals with, until they actually begin to listen. They, they need to begin to listen in order for this type of progress to happen. And so... Um, I think that, yeah, video video games, like any other art form, should be taken seriously in the way that it can affect people engaging with it and the social culture around it. Gaming, for a long time, was very much a, a boys' club, a straight, hetero boys' club, um, and cis boys' club. Um, I bet that... Yeah. Um, I mean, like, because I... I grew up playing things like Call of Duty, <laughs> um, and other games. I was, I played games as a kid, and, you know, it, early, <laughs> early and late 2000s, even, like, early 2010s, um, voice chat, that was a fun time, um, never speaking out of fear of, um, of harassment, whether it be, uh, sexual harassment or just harassment for being a woman, uh, so it, I mean, it's, we've, we've come, we have, we have progressed. We have progressed. I've played a COD game since. Uh, I just don't even turn on voice chat, but we have progressed somewhat. Um, I just, I'm really hoping that we're able to continue this, this progress and for games to continue using their medium and developing their medium in such a way that it it really does affect um, that it really does affect those engaging with it to to the same level because I don't know I I personally um, do engage to the same level but again it's it differs with different people I enjoy really dark intense media um, so I end up usually. Uh, getting really invested with it and engaging with it really thoroughly. But I know some people don't, um, whether it be with all media or things like games themselves, purely. Um, they may engage with um, movies or cinema, um, or some people engage with physical art in that way, 2D art, um, or animated uh, things, 2D or 3D. But I think that um, game the the unique experience of games, it needs to be, it needs to be they need to continue to develop it, so that that level of engagement that is typical with things like cinema and movies you see all of these discussions yeah there are discussions about games but they aren't as, I mean again, there are exceptions, there aren't as many that go thoroughly so thoroughly into what a game is trying to say or maybe even what it's inadvertently saying um and so i hope i'm really hoping that games are able to reach that level where it is considered 
the same t like level of art as well as the same um, level of effect on uh, viewers or players in this case as art like media um, art or art like cinema I mean um, I've been I think I've been just harping on this one point for like seven minutes so I'm gonna stop <laughs> with that bit um, and then I wanted to go on to um, the game itself. So this is less LGBTQ plus related. So if you only really want to listen to that, feel free to t turn off. Um, I totally get it. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, totally get it. Uh, so here's your thing. Here's your warning. Um, now I'm just going to go purely into uh, the game itself and its storyline. Um, and so I wanted to talk about uh, for part two, because part one I do want to discuss more with Liz, um, so I'm going to save that a little bit when it comes to discussing actually narrative, um, but part two I want to discuss because first, um, the, the whole message of, I know that, okay, I know that a lot of people, um, have basically felt that the game is too, too, like it, it, it brings up too, too much negative emotion and they only feel that in it. Um, and so, I, I mean, that's completely valid. I can see where that's coming from. I, again, really like very dark, intense media. Um, and I completely relate with the level of emotional intensity that the characters feel in it. Um, I know that with Elias, with the whole revenge plot, um, and the length she goes to, um, to try to fulfill that desire, um, I, I honestly couldn't say that I wouldn't do that if it was within my power, if I was in that situation. I mean, there's something to be said about how it really portrays really well, I think, how, um, how there you can you can process trauma in many different ways i i know that i personally with some life experience of mine um i went more of the depressive side but i also know that during all of it all i wished was that i could i i even had a dream i remember um it stuck with me since then um of somebody was in the dream with me I was yelling at them. I was basically screaming at them and shaking them, telling them that I didn't want to be sad anymore. I just wanted to be angry so I didn't have to be sad. And that is, I think that is essentially what's going on with Ellie here. Um, in order to avoid having to confront that part of the, um, part of, of the, um, grief, I guess. Um, she instead turns to anger. And so throughout the portion where you're playing as her, um, you see that she gets a lot quieter uh, through your time playing, as well as she kind of emotionally gets more distant with characters like Dina. Um, and it comes back a little bit when they are about to leave, um, when they're in the theater in Seattle and they're about to leave, uh, Jesse, um, Jesse, Tommy, Ellie, and Dina. Um, she's kind of getting a grasp again. She, 
she knows that in order to help another person, she needs to put aside this anger. But then, uh, amongst other things that occurred, um, when we get back to the farmhouse, um, or I guess to the farmhouse for the first time, um, we see that even though she is now, she kind of lives a quaint life um, on the farm, which I know everybody wished could just continue, <laughs> and that that was the, the final bit, um, she then has to deal with the depressive side of things. So she's has, um, she has PTSD, she is experiencing panic attacks, um, she is not actually moving forward yet. She's still stuck in that state of, of grief. Um, and so it, I think it kind of demonstrates how, how it really is a long journey to get through any traumatic experience, whether it be simply losing a loved one in a, in a relatively mundane, um, situation to one that's more uh, extreme or having to deal with um having to deal with past trauma um there's a lot to suggest both in the first and second game that ellie deals with a lot of survivor's guilt uh when it comes to uh riley who if you played the um i guess either the first game or the dlc because i believe it's it's mentioned in both um both she and Ellie had gotten bit, but only Ellie had survived. She was she was the one that was immune, um, and so she has watched a lot of people around her, um, who she has cared for, die because of this virus, and she was unable to do anything. Um, and this is only made worse when, in some of the flashbacks in part two, we see that she found out the truth about uh, the fireflies and what happened with Joel in the hospital. Um, essentially her, uh, um, she was going to be killed in order to try and make a new vaccine. And, uh, Joel ended up killing everybody there, uh, or almost everybody, I guess it turns out, um, in order to, um, save Ellie's life without her, uh, I guess consent, because she was unconscious at the time. They were prepping her for surgery. Um, and this surgery, she didn't know either that she was going to be killed, um, but she, when she finds out, she, I mean, she begins, and, and Joel confirms it, she begins breaking down. And so that, that trauma also manifests in, um, a lot of Ellie's, uh, distance with Joel. And I mean... Obviously, that's that's more direct, um, directed at a specific person, but I mean, I'd say that could easily, easily influence um, the way that she uh, treats others around her, such as Dina and Jesse. Um, and going back even further in terms of past trauma, you have um, David from the first game. Um, so with David, she had been basically, uh, kidnapped, um, and watched as they, um, prepared bodies, uh, for cannibalism, and 
I I know that from interviews and from um, from uh, like behind the scenes uh, stuff when it comes to developers, writers, actors, everything with uh, David and Ellie, their interactions. Um, and so if you if you know the game, you you immediately know what I mean. Um, whether or not there was a sexual aspect to it. Um, at least on David's side. Um, I know that Nolan North, who plays David, didn't didn't play it with that in mind. He didn't mean for or he did not that he didn't mean, but he didn't feel that David was trying to have any sexual interaction. But um, I know that in I think just only like one or two interviews, it was really discussed with with Ashley Johnson, who was, um, who was playing Ellie, that she, she essentially got that vibe from it. That's how she read it. Um, and, uh, Neil Druckmann, uh, he's kind of, from what I can tell, gone back and forth about his answer. Um, I think it's in part just because it is meant to be left up for interpretation, um, to a degree. But anything, I mean, even if it's not, um, doesn't have that sexual, um, that sexual element, it still is extremely, extremely, uh, tough situation for, uh, a 14-year-old to be in. She almost gets murdered. Um, she gets, uh, chased down, uh, in a burning building with basically no way out. Um, she is faced with death constantly. She watched a guy chop up another person's body getting ready to eat it. Or, well, getting ready to, to cook it, I guess. Um, she had to deal with, before that, she had to deal with Joel being impaled and trying to handle everything herself now, including his health, during winter, which, mind you, is not the easiest thing, especially, you know, there are no working hospitals around. Um, and so with all of that mixed together, when you get to the spring chapter, which it falls directly after, um, Joel saves Ellie, um, well, not saves, but finds Ellie. Ellie ends up killing David, um, quite, quite brutally. Um, you see that she's, and even Joel comments on it in the game, that she's a lot quieter, um, you don't get as many uh, dialogue prompts, you don't get as many little um, comments or jokes or anything. It, even as a player, you notice it almost immediately and are concerned, I mean, obviously. Um, and so, while this, this type of, this part of the trauma and things, they might not carry over or directly apply to part two and her actions and things, but it, I think it illustrates just how everything in your life can affect how you act. Um, I don't know if that's even what the the conclusion I was I was starting with, um, <laughs> but that's the conclusion I ended with. So you know what? That's what I'm going with. Um, and I mean, even if you haven't experienced something um, that that involves similar 
either circumstances or emotions as as that um i think that it still allows you to better understand how how trauma works and how it affects you um and we also kind of see that when it comes to abby now again i know abby's a controversial character um and also a real quick tangent people who send who sent death threats to laura bailey who plays abby and death threats to her son who was a baby at the time um you are i'm sorry you are scum of the earth like come on it's a it's a fictional it's a fictional character who who killed another fictional character you you yes you are angry at the character don't be angry at the person playing them she did her job of embodying a character and especially don't threaten her life or her child's life i mean come on it's ridiculous um but back on back on topic with abby um with the whole death of her father obviously she went out and began uh her hunt for joel she was searching for him uh you see in all of her flashbacks she mentions him at least once looking for him and then eventually finds him kills him um and you see that even after that she still has nightmares of um of the sequence where you run through the hospital uh hallway and you see um her father's dead body and the the thing you see at the end of the hallway changes throughout the story but the fact that she still experiences that hallway at all is definitely an indicator that while she may have um may have killed the person who was the so- whose action was the source of her trauma it is not yet gone um and also side note i want to say that it is the the sound design with the alarm that goes off in that hallway is so well done and i think that everyone as soon as they heard that siren going off um even without playing the the first game in a long time you immediately knew what was happening you immediately recognized it so kudos to the uh to the sound designers um and the mu- musicians I, I guess more sound designers on this case um but yeah so the we see that with Abby um and with her the the trauma ends up almost being more cons- her her i guess way of working through it ends up almost more constructively uh or being more constructive and i don't think this isn't to say that she had an active part in it she was she didn't directly cause it to be more uh constructive or or healthy because i mean obviously her killing joel was not healthy or constructive in the least i mean she that was just not a good thing to have done um but unlike ellie um i think that she she had gone past her her phase of pure hatred driving her even in the flashbacks you see that she hatred isn't what she isn't 100% of the time like only talking about Joel she has all these people around her she has Owen she has Mal well 
I mean, she wasn't really friends with them all. She has Owen. She has, um, later on, Manny. She has all of these people who can kind of act as the scaffolding for what can then later become a more, uh, uh, can be a, a situation where she can move on. Again, not actively it being within her control. It's more of, um, her, her having a situation, having, having people surrounding her that can help, uh, expedite the process and make it a bit smoother. Um, which, uh, Ellie lacks. Yes, she has Dina when they're, when they're in Seattle, um, and everything, but there is a lot of time where she doesn't, and this wound is a lot fresher. Um, she was the only one there when it happened as well, uh, unlike Abby, who wasn't in the room when it exactly occurred, but also there were other, um, uh, other fireflies who are the group she, she was part of, who, um, who were there with her, essentially. Um, so there's, it shows, there's a huge difference, and, and this can be applied to, like, real-life situations. Again, I'm not, it's not just, uh, it's not just somebody writing this up. This is, this is based on how people really work, um, at least if, when a writer's doing a good job. <laughs> um, and so, again, it, it, without beating it over your head, the game is able to, um, engage you with these ideas and have you kind of thinking about it um and so I mean I know a lot of people don't understand things like um things like depression whether it um causes you to act um in a depressive manner or in more irritable um uh uh fractious manner um and so I think that things like this, in the same way that it can help people who don't, um, who either don't agree with or understand, um, hom um, queerness, uh, to open their minds and ears to tr even beginning to listen, um, I think that the same can be said here for people who, either trivialize trauma or trivialize things like depression and mental health um, and kind of get them to think about that, think about it in more depth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess generally my whole point is that uh, games can do a lot to, to help with um, getting people to relate to one another. Um, that's, that's really the main gist of things, I guess. Um, I guess I'll just add some random things about the, the game that's not, not as serious. Um, we'll end, we'll end on a lighter note. Um, okay, so, first off, I love the gameplay. It feels so smooth. I love dodging in it. Um, it's so nice. Whenever I go back to play the first now, and I can't dodge, I, I immediately get, like, frustrated, but then obviously I'm like, oh, this game is from 2013. Uh, <laughs> But that, um, the music, um, uh, uh, Guillermo Salvatore, he's still so good. Um, and I know that he is going to be composing music for the HBO series, so that's going to be really nice. Um, it's interesting, uh, you can see some interviews with him and he talks about using, um, 
untuned or, or I guess, distuned instruments, especially strings. Um, so things, any string instrument, including guitars. So he purposely um, makes it so it's not tuned to the typical, um, to any, I guess, typical um, uh, scale, whether that be like um, within the concert scales or uh, jazz ones or things like that. Um, and it creates a really interesting sound. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, the, the acting is always stellar. Um, the, the scene where Joel dies, it definitely, like, you, you feel everything in that scene. Um, as well as many, many other scenes. Um, oh god, that's not really going lighter. Uh, (laughs) um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, what else? I do really like, I know, I've, what, I've talked to my brother about this game a lot, cause, um, cause we both played it during quarantine, and then, um, we're both just fans of the, the, the Last of Us. Um, he wasn't as big of a fan of the Seattle portion, where it's the, the, the dome and the, the courthouse and things, um, cause he found it kind of boring, and like, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I wish it was a bit bigger, it, so it didn't feel as much like you're kind of confined to a play box, you know? But I did enjoy the the gameplay there and kind of just exploring around. It felt almost like uh, like when in the first game when you're exploring different towns and you can go through all the buildings and things, though there it's a little bit more natural. Same with the second game. It's a little more natural that the area is small and you can f- kind of feel where the... Um, where the barriers are, the invisible barriers, but they make more sense, because, you know, it's a tight road. You're in, like, a suburb outside of a city, or you're just in a suburb, period. Um, But when you have that Seattle portion, it's a wide open space. Yeah, you have some buildings that are, like, crumbling, but it feels, it it feels a little too confined. Um, What else? Uh, Rip Shimmer. Uh, was a good horse, died too soon, um, so that's, that was, I was not expecting that, (laughs) I was not expecting that at all, uh, when I first played it, um, I, for a second thought I had missed a, one of those, like, claymore things with the, with the wires, um, but apparently not, (laughs) I thought I had fucked up, um, I mean, I could go on, like, gushing about these games, but, I mean, I kind of addressed what I wanted to address, so I guess I'll, I'll end this here, um, because I don't, uh, trying to get back to a lighter note is kind of hard, um, with this game, especially if I'm talking about the second rather than the first, um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I encourage everyone to play those games, um, as well as, if you haven't played, uh, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, you definitely should, you gotta play it with headphones because the way that they have it set up is um, called binaural audio, I wanna say. Um, so it it is very much uh, dependent on having separate speakers for each of your ears for voice placement and things like that. But the way that they do it, it really does sound as though um, these voices are essentially coming from inside your head or right next to you when you know nothing is there. Um, and I mean, that game, Give it is it is more story focused than gameplay. Um, I know some some of my friends aren't as into the combat. I enjoyed the combat well enough, um, but it's not super long. 
really well done, really well acted. The um the actress who plays Senua was actually a um I don't think she's not a game developer. I think she's an art um she works on the art of games. Um but she was a stand-in for just a little bit and then she uh they they saw her acting and kept her as the the main character and she's super super good in it. Apparently she has experienced um experience Oh, what's the name? I still can't remember the name of the, uh, of, of, uh, what I'm, the hallucinations that aren't, psychosis, that's what it is, psychosis. So she has, um, she has experienced psychosis apparently in the past, um, and so that is, uh, that definitely lended to how she, uh, performed the character, but that, the, the music is really good, um, yeah, I definitely recommend that game. Uh, you can get it on PC or on consoles. It's pretty cheap now, I think. Um, and yeah, I guess that's that's the end of my my ramble here. How long is we got? We got past an hour. Damn. Okay. Um, well, I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, I hope this wasn't boring or anything. Um, this one had a little bit more structure to it, thank God, than the last one. But, yeah, I hope everyone had a good time listening. Uh, thank you for joining us and tuning in. You can listen to this again on rss.com, or you can uh, listen to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, all of those good ones. Um, and you can also find us at our website, uh, and listen there at www.queerlyapodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at uh, queer, queerly underscore podcast um, and leave us any comments. You can always give us topic suggestions um, or just general opinions either on quality of the podcast, um, audio-wise, topic-wise, anything, as well as um, suggest questions to to discuss on here um we have a list of future possible topics um and on those some uh specific films games books are listed uh so if you have one that you think would really apply well to one of the topics or you think that something's missing from that list um then of course just uh let us know we have a, a little contact form on the website uh and yeah, so I hope to hear, uh, see y'all soon again. <laughs> oh, God, my English is dying. Okay, uh, I should end here. Um, hope, hope uh, y'all have good days, and I will see you again soon, and Liz will be back uh, for the next episode. All right.